I am reading from the King James Version of the Bible. Happens to be my favorite translation. I think that Shakespearean English represents the golden age of English language. I am infinitely more inspired by Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. I'm more inspired by that than Look, there's the lamb. <laughs> Genesis 11 verses 1 and following, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there, and they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. And they have all one language. Everyone say one people. Say one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. I'm going to speak into our collective destiny tonight from the subject, Wake Up the Sleeping Giant. Wake up the sleeping giant. And of course, the giant I am referring to is the gigantic possibilities of our collective potential. We're going to wake up our collective potential tonight. Wouldn't that be exciting? All right, I want you to pray with me. I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to reign on us tonight. And I want you to pray out of your belly, out of your mouth. Ask God for a transforming paradigm shift in the word. Thank you, Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior, we have prayed. Amen. And you may be seated in heavenly places. So, the Tower of Babel. Fascinating episode in the anthology of civilization. We are here introduced to the origins of 
antediluvian post-flood civilization. Because, of course, the flood wiped out whatever was there before. Now we have civilization emerging. And I want us to notice that the people were in one place and they had one language. Language, the ability to communicate, precedes or makes it possible for us to cooperate and to collaborate and it is this ability to communicate, cooperate, collaborate that transitions people from savagery to civility. If we can't communicate, all we can do is compete. And if we compete, then we're going to have winners and we're going to have losers. And in the end, we all lose because... We're competing. Language made it possible to communicate. Communication makes cooperation possible and collaboration inevitable. And when people are communicating, cooperating, and collaborating, they can achieve monumental feats, exploits. They can go beyond the capacity of any one individual simply because they have learned to communicate, cooperate, and collaborate. And so here we have the great-grandson of Noah. Of course, he's not explicitly mentioned in this chapter, but when you look at the genealogy of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah, there is a Nimrod who appears as the grandson of Ham, so he is Hamatic. He is a Cushite. He's black. And he is called a mighty hunter before the Lord. So, of course, you look at that in the Hebrew and it would suggest he's a mighty hunter, but he's against the Lord. He's a mighty hunter, means he's very skillful when it comes to hunting both animals and people. He's very, very skillful. He's a warrior. But he's not just a strong man. He is a creative genius. He is an innovator and he has a humongous imagination. It's interesting for me to note that early or antediluvian civilization was pretty much led by a descendant of Ham who had this humongous and insatiable appetite for creating and building. And he comes up with this idea. He says, effectively, we need to build a city. And we need to build a tower whose top may reach to the heavens. And we need to do it lest we be scattered 
upon the face of the earth. So he is motivated by fear of an impending disaster. We have to do this in order to protect ourselves from what might be around the corner. And this led me to think uh, seriously that if, the, if all the world were together in one place, then who exactly was going to scatter them? I mean, we have to build this lest we be scattered. I mean, where is the threat if all of us are together in one place? Well, it becomes clear that there were two threats he wanted to protect his community from. Uh, threat number one was the possibility of another flood. The tower was no doubt his insurance policy. That should God decide to flood us again, we can always go up into the tower and we can outsmart God. It's amazing how people think they can outsmart God. So the tower was there to protect them from God, but the city was there to protect them from devouring each other. And he very skillfully managed to get them, the people, saying to each other, let us build a city. And this is, this is a great skill when it comes to leadership. It is this ability to, to, to cast a vision and to sell it in such a way that you become a stakeholder, a shareholder in that vision. And it's no longer his vision, it's our vision. And quite clearly, this was Nimrod's idea because ultimately he wanted to make a name for himself. And this is a very important idea in, in I suppose, Hebrew um, etymology. Uh, the name means the reputation and the legacy. He wanted to create longevity. He wanted to build a memorial to himself. He wanted to be remembered by future generations. But he has sold the vision in such a way that the people have taken it on board and they have become stakeholders and shareholders in this vision so that they are now saying to each other, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach the heaven. And that's an important thing because, because when, when you are a stakeholder or a shareholder in a huge project, you are less likely to tear it down, criticize it, pull it apart, or in any way to sabotage it. You tend to sabotage the things with which you do not feel a sense of stakeholding. Is making sense? So that if you have shares right now in a particular company, you may be critical of its performance in your mind, but you're not going to open your mouth and start criticizing it because you want the value of the stock to rise. Isn't that right? So Nimrod's idea was, look, I'm going to sell this in such a way that people are going to take it on board and it's going to become their project and it's no longer just going to be me saying, let's do this. It's going to be them saying to each other, let's build us a city, let's build us a tower, let's make us a name. He has made them all stakeholders in this great vision and now together they are going to build a city. The Bible says they began to do it. Woo. Great initiative. Everyone say great initiative. Say bad intentions. 
All right, so some of the great initiatives have bad intentions because the intention was in some way to rebel against the authority of God and to protect themselves from any wrath that would be incurred. And no doubt Nimrod was setting himself up as God and, and therefore the intention was bad, but the initiative was good. The initiative was great. It makes sense to build a city certainly makes sense to build a city and to get people to become stakeholders and shareholders in the construction of something monumental so that they own something they're a part of something it makes sense and and just to just to really quickly kind of prove that the initiative is good there is a striking similarity between what happened at babel and what happened on the day of pentecost hello Yeah, because you see, at Babel, they were all in one place and they were all speaking one language. At Pentecost, they were in one place and with one accord. At Babel, they were conspiring to build a kingdom which would have been a worldwide kingdom because all of the world was together. And at Pentecost, in the upper room, 120 people conspired to establish the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ in all the nations of the world. At Babel, ladies and gentlemen, God came down and confounded their language and divided them. But at Pentecost, he came down gave them diverse tongues to unite them the initiative is not bad the intention was bad but the initiative made sense and it made sense for Nimrod to say we've got to sell this in such a way that the people own it because there are some visions that are simply too big for you to do it all by yourself in fact if you can do what's in your heart all by yourself I suggest to you that your vision is too small I'm going to say it another time because this side got it. I want to check out this side right here. If you can do what God has put in your heart all by yourself, your vision is too small. In fact, I doubt that it came from God. I think it more has to do with your personal ambition emanating from your own insecurity and massaging your ego. Because sometimes we take our ego trips and make them uh, a revelation from God but 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 listen if you can do it by yourself your vision is too small I'm going to talk tonight about our collective potential which is quite different to personal ambition because I think we've done well encouraging personal ambition isn't that right I think we've got the most ambitious generation of Christians that we have ever had in the history of Christendom. I think if we went back 50 years, believers didn't have the kind of ambition that we have today. We are an aspirational generation. We have a lot of personal ambition, a lot of personal goals, a lot of personal dreams that our fathers never had. But we, the problem is that they are personal. 
They are personal. And listen to me, if you want to run fast, then run alone. But if you want to run far, then run together. And sometimes our personal pursuits obscure the potential of a collective, collaborative approach to a bigger vision that has generational significance. Because generational problems require generational solutions. That make sense? Uh huh. Yeah, I'm saying that one can chase a thousand. Ooh. Help me up in here. But two will put 10,000 to flight. Mm -hmm. This power of collaboration, of cooperation, of working together, it makes us infinitely more stronger. And can I say to you that success is ultimately a team sport. No one wins by themselves or for themselves. Wish I had some help in here. I said success is a, I'm going to kick, I'm going to kick devil. I'm going to kick the devil so hard today. It's going to happen. Are you ready? Success is a team sport that no one wins by themselves or for themselves. So if you are in it by yourself and for yourself, you are bound to lose. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. Everyone shout it back at me. Teamwork makes the dream work. Even if the sport looks like it is one person against another, such as boxing. All right? Any boxing fans here today? It's okay. I'm one. Boxing. It looks like two guys are going at it. Doesn't it look like that? It looks like two guys are fighting. But the truth is, two guys are not fighting. The truth is that two camps are competing. Two camps are competing. Because each one of those fighters has a camp or a team that have conditioned and prepared the individual for that moment of combat. And in the team, there is, ladies and gentlemen, uh, ma management. There is trainer. There is coach. There is cardiologist. There is nutritionist. There is a physiotherapist. There are, there are chefs. There are marketing and PR individuals. And they are all part of the teamwork making the dream work so that all that boxer is is the face of a team everyone say the face of a team he is the embodiment of the efforts of many other people and those other people are quite content to be in the background because they understand something about being the face of a team there's a whole lot of people say, oh, yeah, I'm into teamwork, Te teamwork, yes, I'm a, te I'm a team player, you can count on me, but, but you're, only, you're only prepared to be in a team that you can be the face of. And we're not content to be the second man anymore. Oh God, I'm going, I'm going to do this for just a moment. We, we're not content to be the second man. We want to be the face of a team. There's a whole bunch of churches that have started simply because an individual was not content to be the second man and decided that I want to be the face of the team. You listen to people uh, uh, encouraging you to go out and start your own thing. So you went out and started your own thing because you felt like being the second in a team was somehow beneath you. And there are others that have gone out in business to do something that you were never called to do simply because you were not content to be the second man. Can I tell you something about the second man? 
Woo! Can I tell you that you better look out for that second man? Come on, somebody. You better look out for that second man. Come on, Jacob. You better look out for that second man. Because God has a particular role for that second man. But let me tell you why, what the problem is for people who need to be the face of the team. Can I tell you what the problem is here? It's very, very simple. No boxer is going to punch your manager in the face. No boxer is going to find your coach and punch him in the face. They're not going to punch your cardiologist. They're not going to punch your nutritionist. They're not going to punch your physiotherapist. They're not going to punch your chef. They are only going to punch the face of a team. So if you want to be the face of your team, then you better get ready to be hit in the face. And if you can't stand being hit in the face, might as well stay in the background as the second man in a team because it takes courage and character and fortitude and resilience and the ability to bounce back and survive the hell that they throw at you if you're going to be the face of the team. Be careful what you wish for. Because it takes more than technical skill to be the face of the team. Uh-huh. Yeah, it takes tough skin. It takes emotional intelligence. It takes social intelligence. It takes psychological flexibility. It takes the ability to bounce back from a setback. It takes a whole lot because you're the only one that's taking the blows. Mm. So far, so good? Success is a team sport. No one, no one wins it by themselves or for themselves. I don't mind being the hidden part of the team because I realize that there's a price to pay with being the face of your team. And I found out that my vital organs, my what? My vital organs are all hidden. I have never seen my vital organs and I don't want to see them. I have never seen my heart, my lungs, my liver, and I don't want to see them. And often the most significant players in an initiative and an operation do not get the limelight. They are not visible. They are not seen, but without them, the project dies. And God needs some people who are content to operate in that place, to magnify your own office, and to operate in excellence right where you are, because you don't need you're not made to survive all that comes at being the face of your team be the heart of the team be the lungs of the team be the liver of the team be the kidneys of the team but it's that teamwork that's going to make the dream work can i hear an amen from somebody you see the obsession with personal ambition has created a generation of crabs in a barrel oh yeah I'm going in hard this is my last night I'm going in hard crabs in a barrel 
Anyone ever seen crabs in a barrel? Okay, let me tell you what. If you ever see crabs in a barrel, understand that every single one of them wants out. Every You're not going to interview one of them that says, I'm comfortable, I'm happy to stay here. Every single one of them wants to get out. That's called common aspiration, collective aspiration. They all want the same thing. All of them want to get out. The problem is that none of them is allowed to go first. And no one will help another to get out. So now we have common aspiration that is stifled by individual effort. Common aspiration stifled by individual effort. Because the truth is, you cannot get out by yourself. It's going to take a collaborative approach in order to get you out of the barrel. But no one's allowed to go first. I know, you're, you're tense like me. I'm, I'm tense as well, don't worry. I know what's about to happen. <laughs> but watch this. Listen to the bishop very carefully. You have my permission, you have my consent, and you have my blessing to go first. I'm going to say it to this side, didn't get it. I'm going to say it to this side. Even though we all want the same thing, even though we have common aspiration, even though we're all trying to get out of the same set of circumstances, you have my permission, my blessing, my encouragement to go first. I don't mind if you go first. Whatever it is you're trying to do, I'm happy for you to go first. In fact, I secretly want you to go first. Let me tell you why I want you to go first. Because if you go first, you're going to take some hits that I won't have to take. If you go first, you're going to deal with some devils that I won't have to deal with. If you make it first, you're going to make a way for me. So I'm not about to fight you. I'm not about to hold you back. I'm not about to put you down. In fact, I'm going to celebrate. If you're making progress, I am happy for you. If your church is growing faster than mine, congratulations. If your business is bigger than mine, congratulations. If you go platinum before me, congratulations. I want you to go first. I need you to go first. I'm going somewhere here today. See, if you go first, you're going to make a way. You're going to make a path. You're going to kill some devils on the road. But also, if you go first, you're going to break a psychological curse that I've been living under. You know what that psychological curse is? It's all the doubts that I harbor about whether it's even possible for me to go there. But if you go there, you will deal with my doubts. I'm not going to doubt anymore. I'm going to know that it can be done. Come on, somebody. I thank God for Barack Obama. Yes, sir. Because you broke a curse off of my family's life. You broke a curse off of my mind. I was saying thank God for Barack Obama. 
because by becoming the first African-American president, he has shattered the notion permanently that it cannot be done by an African-American. And he has broken the psychological curse and he has dealt with the demons of doubt that have prevented others from aspiring to that level. So I want you to go first. I'm not just blessing you to go first. I want you to go first because you'll help me deal with my doubts. Are you back with me? Let's take it to another level. I want you to go first because if you go first and you make it where, you're, where we're all trying to go, you will leave for me a path, a model, a pattern. You're going to show me where to put my hand and where to put my foot and where not to put my hand. You're going to show me because success leaves clues. And if somebody's winning, all I've got to do is study you. And if I can model your psychology and your strategies, then it's a matter of time before I make it too. So I'm not going to fight you on your road to the top. I'm going to help you because by helping you, I'm helping me. Come on, look at your neighbor say, go ahead and make your first million. Go ahead and make your first billion. Go ahead and get your dream car. Go ahead and get your dream house. Go ahead and win. Go ahead and get an Olympic gold medal. Go ahead. Go ahead and change the world. Go ahead. I don't have to be in front of you. I don't, I'm not competing with you. I'm complimenting you. I'm, woo. You see, your destiny is conceived when you say, I can. But it is not born until you say, I cannot. This I didn't get it. Your destiny is conceived when you agree with God that greatness is your portion. But it will never be born until you say, I cannot do this by myself. You have to become aware of your limitation in order to give birth to the manifestation of your promise. In fact, if God gives you a vision, it will frighten you. It should terrify you. Yes, it should. And you should be overcome with an immediate sense of inadequacy. I simply cannot do this. If you're doubting me, ask Gideon. When, he, when God spoke to Gideon, it was me of all people. Ask Moses. Me of all people. When, ask Abraham, 75 years old. Me, let me tell you, when God gives you a vision, it's got to be bigger than your capacity to make it happen by yourself. It ought to leave you with a sense of, I need help forcing you to collaborate wish I had some help in here today the sheer size of the vision ought to force you to partner with others 
<laughs> because that I cannot is not just a matter, it's not just a statement of I'm incapable of doing some of the things you are capable of doing but because your energy and your focus is required elsewhere you cannot do it Woo. all my business people are you ready for this now God gave you a vision, a dream. He gave you creativity and innovation. And he has called you to focus your energy on perhaps, you know, disrupting with a disrupting an industry with a product innovation that is going to transform everything for everyone. And your focus is needed there. And when you realize that your focus is needed there, you cannot be the bookkeeper. You cannot be the administrator. You cannot run the accounts. You cannot make the phone calls. You cannot answer all the phone calls. You have to get to a place where you say, I cannot do that. I am now forced to recruit and develop a high-performing team. Somebody say amen. Say the teamwork will make the dream work. So if your vision is big enough, it's going to force you to find a team. And I venture to say that no one is serious about anything significant that is not busy recruiting and developing a high-performing team. All right, I'm, I'm virtually done. But I still have seven minutes. I'm going to take them all. <laughs> Thank you. We're talking now about the collective potential of the church. Not my personal ambition, but what we can achieve collaboratively, collectively, because that is the sleeping giant of Christianity. The sleeping giant is not me, the preacher. You know, I'm, I'm probably realizing a lot of my own potential right now, but the collective potential of this critical mass has never yet been fully realized because the truth is that there's enough of us to do anything that we can imagine to do, but we have to imagine to do it. Come on, somebody. There's enough of us. Can I, can I break it down and say that we could easily have our own bank? We could easily have our own financial institutions. We could easily have our own housing associations, right? We could easily, we could easily take over any section. Why? Because there's enough of us to do it, but we are going to have to start thinking a little bit beyond the personal ambition, and that's where the kingdom comes in. The kingdom comes in. The kingdom comes in. How many of you know the Lord's Prayer, yes? It's the kingdom prayer, right? It's the prayer for heaven and earth, right? It's the prayer for the kingdom to come. Who knows what the first word is? What? No, not our Father. The first word. Come on, shout it out. That means you cannot even pray that prayer until you see yourself as connected to an entire group, a family. It's not my Father. Give me my daily bread. Forgive my trespasses. It's our A lot of people are saying our, but what they mean is my. <laughs> Do 
A lot of people are saying, give us this day our daily bread. But what they mean is give me today my daily bread. And until we are delivered from that paradigm, we never get to realize our collective potential. See, we have taken a lot of corporate kingdom promises and personalized them as if they are personally speaking to us personally. But they were never speaking to you personally. They were speaking to you collectively. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. I wish I had some help in here today. Come on now. These are corporate kingdom promises to you, us, them, the body of Christ. And we've now got to begin thinking like that body. I'm going to close. I'm going to close and say that when you start out in business, you typically start out self-employed, right? Then you figure out that you're a worse boss than the boss you ran away from. Because you, you can't lie to your new boss about how sick you're feeling like you could to your old boss. All right? <laughs> and you probably became self-employed so you could have more time freedom and more financial freedom and more freedom of mobility. And no sooner have you become your own boss, you have less time, less money, and less freedom of mobility. So you get sick of it really quickly. So what happens is now you transition to become a business owner. Now you're going to employ staff which means you're beginning to collaborate. You're, you're tapping into a universal principle. You are now beginning to uh, get staff around you and you're now beginning to work on your business and not simply inside your business. And you're beginning to realize a little bit more time freedom and potentially a little bit more, a little bit more financial freedom. But you know that there's a big, big vision in your heart and that your proposition has value on a global stage and you need to take it to another level. So the next level is to go public. Isn't that right? To go public. Now, when you go public with the company, what are you doing? At this stage, you are making little pieces of the company available to millions of people. You're now saying to millions of people, buy into the action and own a share of my company. Now, here's what the world does. The world then turns around and says, yes, I would rather have 1% of something than 100% of nothing. We're going to have to deal with that devil right here because there's too many of us that would rather own 100% of nothing than to invest and own 1% of something. We are a generation that would rather be the head of a mouse than the tail of a lion. I would rather be the tail of a lion than to be the head of a mouse. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. This is how the world works. This is how financial institutions work. This is how multinational corporations work. Everything's divided up into little shares and people get to buy a little piece of the action. And you buy a little piece of the action here and a little piece of the action here and a little piece of the action there. And now those shares begin growing in their value and now you are independently wealthy and you can retire, stop working and still enjoy the same lifestyle. Why? Because you understood the power of owning a little bit of something. However,
the whole personal ambition and obsession is that I want to own everything. I want 100% of everything. And if I can't own everything, right? So there are businesses that are going to hell right now. I don't mean the lake of fire. They're going to hell right now just because you don't understand the power of the partnership, the collaborative potential of lots of people investing in your thing. So I stopped by to tell someone today. I stopped by to tell someone today. We have got to break that curse off of our nation entirely. And I'm going to close with how. Someone said to me, Bishop, I would love to collaborate. I would love to cooperate. I would love to work together with people, but I don't trust nobody. I can't trust people. In my church, I said to people who wanted to own homes, I said, oh, you can't afford a home, but four of you can. So four of you get together and buy a home, and then uh, you, you, can, you can sell it, and you can, you, can, you can do other things with that. They said, yeah, but we can't trust that. Who can we trust? Anyone have a trust issue? So can I shock you? Do you mind if I shock you? Europeans don't trust each other either. White people, they don't trust each other either. That's right. What they trust is the rule of law, legal documents, and shareholder agreements. I wish I had some help in here today. Which is where we're quite weak. Because the minute someone speaks in tongues, we think we can trust them. No, you cannot. I don't care how much you speak in tongues. I want legal documentation. I want a shareholder's agreement. And I'm finished, Pastor. And someone said, someone said, someone said, yeah, but Bishop, but Bishop, you're not allowed to take your brother to court. I don't care how you interpret Corinthians. Once we sign that deal, this brother is taking you to court if you renege on the deal. Someone said, Bishop, how can you say that? I can say it because Corinthians talks about taking a brother to court. But if you're going to tell me a barefaced lie and run off with my money, you are not my brother. I'm finished. I'm done. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www iCanCommunityChurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, this is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.